0: from Jeremiah 32 verse 1 to 15 and that is found on page 645 of your blue bible. (coughs) This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah king of Judah which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. The army of the king of Babylon was then besieging Jerusalem and Jeremiah the prophet was confined in the courtyard of the guard in the royal palace of Judah. Now Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him there, saying, Why do you prophesy as you do? You say, This is what the Lord says. I am about to give this city into the hands of the king of Babylon, and he will capture it. Zedekiah, king of Judah, will not escape the Babylonians. I will certainly be given into the hands of the king of Babylon, and will speak with him face to face and see him with his own eyes. He will take Zedekiah to Babylon, where he will remain until I deal with him, declares the Lord. If you fight against the Babylonians, you will not succeed. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of Shalom, Your uncle is going to come to you and say, Buy my field at Anatof, because as nearest relative, it is your right and duty to buy it. Then, just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, Buy my field at Anatov in the territory of Benjamin. Since it is your right to redeem it and possess it, buy it for yourself. I knew that this was a word of the Lord, so I bought the field at Anatov from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed, had it witnessed, and weighed out the silver on the scales. I took the deed of purchase, the sealed copy containing the terms and conditions, as well as the unsealed copy, and I gave this deed to Baruch son of Naraya, the son of Messiah, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel and of the witnesses who had signed the deed, and of all the Jews sitting in the courtyard of the God. In their presence I gave Baruch these instructions. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Take these documents, both the sealed and unsealed copies of the deed of purchase, put them in a clay jar so they will last a long time for this is what the lord almighty the god of israel says houses fields and vineyards will again be bought in this land this is the word of the lord
1: That passage that Yong did such a great job of reading is only a small part of the section I'll be speaking on and it's a great passage, it's a great story and, um, but it's long and there's a lot there and I hope that we'll be able to follow it so let's ask for God's help. Father speak to us through your word by the power of your spirit, Lord speak to our hearts, speak to our wills and help us to have soft hearts and discerning minds that we might glorify you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, most of us live in Sydney and you'll know that Sydney property prices are crazy. And it's just a a big deal to try and get on the property ladder. So, what I'm going to suggest to you today is maybe you should be looking, if you want to get on the ladder, maybe you should start by looking outside of Sydney. Have you thought of perhaps America? You don't want to invest in America. Look, I've got a better deal for you. There's some houses, very spacious area. Here's one in Mosul in Iraq. Very spacious, very airy, three bedroom house, two bathrooms. Bargain in Mosul. Or if you head a bit further north into Syria, maybe you'd like to buy a whole apartment block in Aleppo. They're going for a song, they tell me. The real estate ad, I had a look at the ad. The ad says, it's a bit of a fixer-upper. But you're up for it, aren't you? To invest in Aleppo, it's it's an opportunity that may never come your way again. There's lots of uh, financial advisors, lots of real estate agents. They're all full of advice. Everyone will be able to tell you what to do if you want to invest and get started on that property later. But here am I. I'm going to give you the number one rule for property investment. And the number one rule for property investment is this. Do not invest in a war zone. Because when you invest, you invest for the future. You want some level of security that you will get a return on your investment. And when there is war, well, property rights mean next to nothing and it's dangerous, and there is devastation all around, and who wants devastation and insecurity when you're investing for security, for the future? Don't invest in a war zone. So you're going to pay a price if you're going to invest, and you want to minimise risk and maximise returns. That's the game, and war is bad. Don't invest in a war zone, unless you're crazy, unless you are the prophet Jeremiah. Because that's exactly what he does in the reading, Yong just read for us, Jeremiah chapter 32. There is a big war, well it's not really war, it's more of just a complete overwhelming conquest. The Babylonian Empire comes to power, King Nebuchadnezzar, they come down to Jerusalem, they lay siege to the city and this king just gives in, Jehoiachin, And so he gets taken off a thousand kilometres away to exile in Babylon with all the leading people in the area. They just basically chop the head off the leadership of Jerusalem and Judah. And they're in exile a thousand kilometres away. They start a new puppet king, his name's Zedekiah. He's also from the line of David. He's just a puppet of the Babylonians. Until he thinks he doesn't tire being a puppet, he wants to cut the strings. Maybe make an alliance with the Egyptians. So he sets about cutting the strings and... The Babylonians are the big guys, Nebuchadnezzar is not happy. The Babylonians come down and they walk through Judah and Ju- Judah, the whole region, and they lay siege to the city of Jerusalem. Now, in Jerusalem there's this prophet, this crazy prophet called Jeremiah, and Jeremiah keeps telling Zedekiah, he told, what, told him what was going to happen before. Now he keeps telling Zedekiah what God's purposes are, and Zedekiah knows this so well that he can repeat it back. To Jeremiah. So in verse 3, Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned Jeremiah in the palace, in the courtyard, and he's for saying, Why do you prophesy as you do? You say, This is what the Lord says I'm about to give this city into the hands of the king of Babylon, and he will capture it. Zedekiah, king of Judah, will not escape the Babylonians. That's me, Jeremiah. But will certainly be given into the hands of the king of Babylon. And we'll speak with him face to face and see him with his own eyes. I don't want to do that. He will take Zedekiah to Babylon where he will remain until I deal with him, declares the Lord. If you fight against the Babylonians, you will not succeed. Jeremiah, you don't say that. I'm now putting you in prison in my palace because I hate what you're saying. Meanwhile, you've got to understand the context. A thousand, years away, a thousand kilometers away, ten years ago, there's all these Jews, all the old leaders, And here they are in this city, trapped. And right in the middle of the city is the king and his little prophet imprisoned. And as soon as you get past the city walls, there are Babylonians, the great empire, building siege ramps. You're going to fall, guys. You're going to fall. That's the context of our little story about investment. Inside, all is powerless. There is fear, there is hunger, and there's Jeremiah, the miserable prophet. But Jeremiah's God, even in this terrible situation, is not powerless. God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, it's time to buy, buy, buy. Time for you to invest. Verse 6. Jeremiah said the word of the Lord came to me Hannibal son of Shulam your uncle is going to come to you and say buy my field at Anatoth, because as nearest relative it is your right and duty to buy it. Now in ancient Israel property rights stayed with the family. They had the right of redemption. So if you're in strife you sell it to your family who bails you out of strife you get a bit of money but the property doesn't leave the family. They were the basic rules. And the Lord says to Jeremiah, your cousin, your uncle's son, is going to come and offer you to buy his field. An investment opportunity. And sure enough, as the Lord said, verse 8, Then just as the Lord said, My cousin Hannibal came to me in the courtyard of the garden and said, Buy my field at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin since it's your right to redeem it and possess it. Buy it for yourself. So Jeremiah buys the field, the prisoner. He takes the little bit of money, he has 17 shekels of silver, he hands them over, it's signed, it's sealed, it's witnessed and he is now the proud owner of a field in Ennetoth in the region of Benjamin which just happens to be outside the city walls. Probably with Babylonians camped on it at this very moment. Good move, Jeremiah. And do you think, the, did you think anybody told the Babylonians? They sent a message out like, Jeremiah now, could you guys move off? Jeremiah owns this plot of land. Do you think they cared less sitting on that field of Anatoth in Anatoth? I don't think they cared. Now normally when you buy a property you inspect it and you inspect it again and you probably go back and inspect it again because it's such a big deal and you weigh alternatives and you negotiate and then you agree on a price and you purchase it and then there's settlement and then when you finally have settlement it's, it's, you can't, almost can't avoid this you sort of go and you stand on your property and you look around it, and you survey all that you now own even if it's your apartment block this is mine Jeremiah buys a block of land. He can't even get out of the palace, let alone out of the city, to see this wonderful block of land that he has just spent 17 shekels on. Who advised him to do that? That is stupid. Who was his financial advisor? Verse 8b I knew that this was the word of the Lord, because like the Lord told me my cousin would come and my cousin came. I knew this was the word of the Lord, so I bought the field of Anatoth from my cousin Hannibal and weighed out for him seventeen shekels of silver. It's crazy, but Jeremiah was trusting God. He was boldly investing for the future. Verse thirteen in the presence, in their presence I gave Baruch the scribe, these instructions. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Take these documents, both the sealed and unsealed copies of the deed of purchase and put them in a clay jar so they'll last a long, they will last a long time. I don't want this record lost. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Houses, fields and vineyards will again be bought in this land. There are the Babylonians building siege walls. In a year or so's time, the city will be smashed to pieces. But houses and fields and vineyards will again be bought and sold here. Make sure you keep those records for the future. Because Jeremiah is perching security for his family. It's a bold act of redemptive faith. And the future... He's investing and has been guaranteed by God Himself. God is acting as guarantor. It's going to happen. Yes, it will cost, but the future reward will be, make it be worth it. You know, as Christians, we are told to be investors in God's future. God's exiles, which is our theme for the year, that we are exiles for permission, God's exiles pay the price. Because investment always involves a price. Cost now. We are told to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. We pay the price. Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. Pay the price for my future. It's investment. And so it is that Christians in Syria have paid the price for standing firm to their faith. They have lost property. They have lost dignity. They have lost comfort. Many of them have lost their lives to follow Jesus and Christians in Iraq have done the same thing and Christians all over the world. And there's been many, many, many people go on to the mission field who have given away all that they've got in this world, as we might call it, to pay the price to invest in God's future. And people have gone to Bible college and invested three years of study without any pay to invest in God's future and they've become pastors and teachers and leaders and counsellors All sorts of people like that invest in God's future. You know who else invests in God's future like that? Bank tellers, taxi drivers, and accountants and lawyers. People just like you who, because they follow Jesus, they invest their lives into God's future, God's promises. They take crazy steps of faith. Crazy. Crazy story, crazy prophet. Crazy investment. Who does this sort of thing? If you are in Christ Jesus, then you should read this story and say, Oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's how I live my life. I live by faith. I trust the promises of God and I obey God and I look to His future. It's not crazy, it's normal. For God's people, God's exiles. It's normal. It's normal, but it's not easy to do. We sing songs like Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord to thee, take my moments and my days. We sing all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. And we mean it, but it's not easy to it's not as easy to do as it is to sing. If you've ever taken a bold step of faith, you'll know the joy of obedience and you'll probably know that coupled with a deep anxiety of concern. What if? What if I take this bold step of what if God, what if things don't work out? You know, that's exactly how Jeremiah felt as a prisoner parting with the little bit of security he had, 17 shekels of silver, hard cash, precious metal in a war's to buy a property that he would probably never see, let alone get a return from. Jeremiah is exposed. Jeremiah is out there. Jeremiah is on his own, the crazy prophet. But he's not alone. He's actually clinging to God. And trusting his promises because Jeremiah prays and he takes his anxiety to the Lord. Verse 16. After I had given the deed of purchase to Barak, son of Nerariah, I prayed to the Lord, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth, as we just sang, by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show love to thousands... But bring punishment on their parents' sins for their lapse into the laps of their children after them. Great and mighty God, whose name is Lord Almighty, great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. God is created, nothing's too difficult for him. And therefore, I can make a good investment trusting your character, God. Your eyes are open to the ways of all mankind, you reward each person. ...according to their conduct and as their deeds deserve. Jeremiah, as he continues his prayer, remembers God's power and strength displayed in the past. You performed signs and wonders in Egypt and have continued them to this day in Israel and amongst all mankind. And you've gained the renown that is still yours. You are a great God. You have brought your people out of Israel, out of Egypt with signs and wonders by a mighty hand and an outstretched and with great terror... You are a saving God. You gave them this land you had sworn to give their ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. You are a good God. They came in and they took possession of it, but they did not obey you or follow your law. They did not do not do what you commanded them to do, so you brought all this disaster upon them. God has been faithful. What he said he would do, he has done, both in blessing and in judgment for disobedience. See how the siege ramps are built up to take the city. Because of the sword and the famine and the plague, the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians who are attacking it. So Jeremiah prays, What you said has happened, Lord. What you said you do, you're doing. And though the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians, you, sovereign Lord, you say to me, buy the field with silver and have the transaction witnessed. Amen. End of prayer. Lord, I'm buying this field and your judgment is falling for our sin. Amen. That's Jeremiah's prayer. He brings his anxiety because he's stepping out in faith. He brings it and lays it at the feet of the Lord. And it's like, Lord, this is a really hard thing to do. This makes no sense, but I'm trusting you with the outcome. What you've done in the past, Lord, in your faithfulness to your promises, will you do again as I buy this field? Jeremiah chooses to obey God before he understands in full, do you understand that? Jeremiah chooses to obey God and live by faith before he understands in full and the gap he takes to the Lord and just throws it out in front of him i'm going to obey you any, I'm going to obey you anyway, father the what, the how, the when, the where they're all unanswered. People go on the mission field, you'll know some of them and they work hard and they make many sacrifices financially and materially and in personal stress and they don't have all the answers. Lord, what are you doing? What redemptive work are you doing through my sacrifice, my investment? I can't always see it. And people go to Bible colleges and they become pastors in churches and they go and pastor, it's such a beautiful church. They go pastor hard churches, small churches in remote areas. And years and years and years of work, oh, Lord, what are you doing? Where's my return? And people teach Sunday school year after year, or run play groups, or two youth groups year after year, or visit people and work with the mentally ill in Jesus' name, and they do all these things and they ask year after year after year, Lord, I've made this massive investment. What are you doing? When will it be fulfilled? When's my investment going to kick in and pay off? You know what the answer is? You keep on believing and obeying before you understand in full, because it's going to pay off big. As long as you keep trusting me, there will be a return. And so we pray in faith. We cast our anxieties and fears on the God for whom nothing is too difficult as we've been singing, the Creator God. So what I want to do this morning, I don't want to answer all your questions and fill up that gap. I just want to tell you to invest big. Throw it all on the line. Invest in the promises of God. Get behind them with all you have. Forget about this diversity thing in this business. Mate, this is totally focused investment. Don't diversify a bit in this world, a bit with Jesus. Maybe if I have to, a bit with, you know, Hinduism. No, 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 no. Jesus says, all on me. All on me. All or nothing. And don't see if I then don't then return your Investment despite the hardship with great bounty. When you're investing, you always invest with the prospect of a future return. If you're not doing that, it's called spending. Spending is different to investing. Investing always has an eye on the future. When you invest in something, quite often they'll come with a prospectus, particularly if you're investing in something on the stock market. A new launch. And then prospectus tells you what your prospects might be if you invest. Well, Jeremiah is investing. He prays to God and he throws it all out God and leaves the gap with God. And God comes back at the end of this passage and says, Here's my prospectus. Now that you're trusting me, it's kind of hard, isn't it? Now that you're trusting me, Jeremiah, here's my prospectus. Here is what your prospects are. He sets out the future. Verse 26. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard, anything too difficult for me? Therefore, this is what the Lord says. As the message changed, I am about to give this city into the hands of the Babylonians and to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon who will capture it. I heard that before already, Lord. Babylonians who are attacking the city will come and set, set it on fire. They will burn it down along with the houses where the people aroused my anger by burning incense on the roofs to Baal and pouring out the drink offerings to other gods. The prospect, Jeremiah, is short-term more judgment for sin. Verse 30, The people of Israel and Judah have done nothing but evil in my sight from their youth. Indeed, the people of Israel have done nothing but arouse my anger with what their hands have made declares the Lord. Verse 33. They turned their backs to me and not their faces. Though I taught them again and again, they would not listen or respond to me. They set up their vile images in the house that bears my name in the temple and they defiled it, idols in the temple. They built high places for Baal in the valley of Beth Ben-Hinnom to sacrifice their sons and daughters to Molech. His wickedness is great, though I never commanded, nor did it even enter my mind that they should do such a detestable thing and so make Judah sin. Oh, their wickedness is great. Judgment is therefore coming, goes the Lord. What's the prospect? Judgment's coming because their sin has been mighty. And is anything too difficult for me? No, I will accomplish what I've said I'll do. But that is not the end. Because in chapter, verse 36 comes a statement of redemption. You are saying about this city by the sword, famine and plague it will be given into the hands of the king of Babylon. Yes, that's true. But this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banished them in my furious anger and great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. It goes on. They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart, focus and action so that they will always fear me and that all will go well for them and for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them, one that will never fail. I will never stop doing good to them and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul, says the Lord. There's your prospectus. There's your investment return. God is going to bring his people back. You know, this language here, Jeremiah chapter 32 in this section is exactly, very, very similar. Not exactly. Very, very similar to the language that's used in Jeremiah chapter 31 where God tells Israel, just a chapter before, through Jeremiah, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. I'm going to write my law in their hearts. They will know me. They will obey me. It will be a new covenant. Chapter 32, it's an everlasting covenant. If you go to the New Testament, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, chapter 31 of Jeremiah is quoted at length. And the writer says, It's fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the great high priest, who with his blood has made the sacrifice so that God's people can return, so that all through Jesus can return to God and know God. This is the new covenant through Jesus' blood. Hebrews chapter 8. A little bit further on, Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm going to read you this because Jeremiah, the writer of the Hebrews, again quotes from Jeremiah chapter 31, this new covenant. The Holy Spirit says, This is the covenant I will make with them at that time. I will put my law in their hearts and write them on their minds. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Through Jesus there will be a sacrifice that satisfies for sin, that cleanses my people. Verse 19, Therefore, as new covenant people through Jesus, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new new covenant, a new and living way open to us through the curtain that is Jesus' body, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with confidence. Let's come back with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water, and let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful." Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up the habit of meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This has been our theme throughout the year. When you come to Jesus, you're made a new creation, a new person, cleansed. You become God's exile for his mission, which is to live a godly life a life that pleases Jesus so that you can press on for that day when Jesus returns and the kingdom comes in its fullness, full of faith and hope and love with glorious prospects for the future. Did Jeremiah make a bad investment back in Jeremiah chapter 32? Well, God speaks of prospect and then at the end of this chapter, was it a bad investment? This is what God says. As I have brought all this great calamity on this people, so I will give them all the prosperity I have promised them. Once more fields will be brought in this land of which you say it's a desolate waste. Fields will be brought for silver and deeds will be signed, sealed and witnessed in the territory of Benjamin, in the villages around Jerusalem and the towns of Judea because I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. Jeremiah, you have made a ripping good investment. You got that field for a soul. Just trust me for the future. Jeremiah is living in a war zone and he purchased a field at God's command. We too are living in a war zone in this current age. And when you look around, prospects look bleak. And I know many of us have struggled with the outcome of the election in America and thinking, what's going on when we've got two leaders like this and options and the guy who's just rude, rude, rude and greedy all the time becomes President of the United States of America. What are we? What's going on in this world? We live in a war zone. We don't belong in this war zone. We're heading for a better home, a better future. There's spiritual battle all around us and there's devastation and hopelessness and emptiness. But we have the guarantee of a better day to come. Realised through the victory of Jesus and the enemy today, he still prowls around like a roaring lion looking for people to devour. But our God has won the victory through the cross. And he calls us, as his exiles in this place, to pay the price today that we might invest in his future. That we might invest for redemption. To buy back for others so that they may have life in the future. To help the hopeless who are sinking. And as we live for God's kingdom, we give of ourselves You have to ask, how do you live if you're living in a war zone? If you were in Mosul or Aleppo, how would you be living? Say you had a few assets. Wouldn't you be trying to shore up your assets? Wouldn't you be trying to protect them and hunker down and wait till the troubles pass? We're not like that. A rich man came to Jesus one day and he said to Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life, to have a place in that eternal kingdom? And Jesus said, oh, "What does the Scripture say?" He says, oh, "I obey the commandments." Blah blah. He says, "Have you done this?" I've done all those things since I was a child. Jesus says one more thing. I want you to take all that you have and give it away to the poor and the needy, and then you will have riches in heaven. That's the investment I want you to make. I want you to take all that you have. You only have one more thing you need. Take all that you have and in my name, invest it in others for the future. And that rich man walked away so sad because that was more than he could do. He couldn't make that investment. Jesus said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And we're all wealthier than that man. He didn't even have a car. We're all flushing toilet. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his word and said, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's like it's impossible. The disciples were amazed. and They said, well, who can enter the kingdom? Who then can be saved? Who then can be saved from their sin? It's so hard to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. He could have quoted Jeremiah, nothing is too difficult, nothing is too hard for God, even for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Even for you to enter God's kingdom. Peter said, Well, we've left everything to follow you, Lord. We've invested the lot, unlike this fella. You know what Jesus says? Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Jesus says, You want to follow me? Follow the way of Jeremiah, follow the way of the kingdom. Follow the way of the cross, my way. Invest a lot for a greater return guaranteed by the promise of God and the victory of God. Invest a lot. Don't muck about. Invest the lot. So, what are you investing in? Are you diversifying? Jesus says, invest a lot. Invest for the future. Let's face it. Oh, superannuation and investments. Invest for the future so that when you're 65 you've got enough money to live on for the next 20 or 30 years if you're lucky. Jesus says invest for a better future. Not just for you but for others. Follow Jesus which means to give is to gain. Let me pray. Father, we see the example of Jeremiah. We see the example of our Lord Jesus. We hear your word and we hear his teaching. And we pray that you would give us strength and courage to invest the lot into your kingdom. Seek first your kingdom and righteousness that we may know the richness of blessings that you offer. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: You know, trust doesn't come easy. It wasn't easy for Jeremiah to publicly buy land that's already captured by the enemy, but he trusted God. It wasn't easy for David um, to be king, even though he was anointed. Yet he trusted God. I'm not sure if you, you're sitting here and you're listening to the, to the message, but if you put your trust in that person of, of our Lord Jesus, maybe you know, say, yeah, I did that, but I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure where my relationship is with God today. I'm not sure if I have that trust. All that makes sense. It doesn't make sense. It seems so confusing. I urge you to to speak to someone today during morning tea. Come out to the pastor and talk to him. Speak to anyone beside you. I want to be sure today. I want to have that same trust. Am I investing in God's future or mine? God loves us so much. That he gave his only begotten son. That if you believe in him, you can have the eternal life. The last song that we're going to sing um, is talking about that. Do you know, uh, it says, forever he's glorified, forever he's lifted high, forever he's risen. Do you know what the meaning of the word hallelujah is? It means to praise him, to boast in God. And that's what we're going to do. To end our time together by praising Him. So, once again, if, if you're not sure, speak to someone. Please stand with me. Put out for us the way way to bear the curse.